are you doing? Hello. From deep cuts to future classics. On location and behind the scenes. Somewhere between reasonable and crazy. It was no more complicated than that. Let's skip intro and find out what to watch on Netflix. Coming up. Cheer is a cult. <laughs> I just sat there and I was just sobbing. Being the best version of himself and how much cheer helped him get to where he is. You're conscripted, not just into being delighted for everybody, but really wanting everybody to do well. I'm not going to say it's not dangerous because you're catching people falling from the yeah. sky, but the worst thing I've ever done, is I broke my finger, but that's it. It's not a leg. I don't believe we've met. What's your name? Well, tumble me down and plonk me precariously on top of a shaking Jerry's shoulders. Episode 5 of What to Watch on Netflix is celebrating one of the biggest emotional roller coasters we've seen in ages. It's got blood, sweat, tears, makeup, and lycra. No, it's not the TK Maxx Black Friday sale. It is, of course, cheer. They've won the Grand Championship several times. They could beat anybody. People from all over the country come here to cheer for Monica. Navarro, where is it located? Zoom in. Where? I guess I'm going there. My goal was to be the best cheer program in the country. Yes, occasionally, despite our thousands of streaming scientists carefully analysing our viewing habits, a show appears that grabs our attention and steals our hearts. Uh, also, a little message to Penny from Derby. Uh, this is why you should always throw an episode of BoJack in the middle of all those murder documentaries. You'll end up on a register, love. Cheer is a six-part series directed by Greg Whiteley, which tells the story of the cheerleaders at Navarro, following their journey as they wait to see if they'll make Matt under coach Monica Aldama, who looks like Cheryl Crow, but is more, she'll watch you like a damn hawk. But what is it about cheerleading that makes this such a wild ride? And why is something so inherently American lit up the UK so fiercely? To celebrate this amazing show, we've persuaded the UK's own version of Navarro, London's ultimate cheer, to come on and talk us through it. Later on, we'll get a double dose of Jamie as he navigates us all through lock and key and gets an acting masterclass from Six Underground's Ben Hardy. But for now, I'm going to form a human pyramid with Nat, Louise and Tasmin from Ultimate Cheer. So a few weeks ago, I didn't know that Corsicana, Texas existed. I thought a tumbler was a small glass for gin until this series entered my life and opened my eyes. And I thought, if we're going to talk about cheer, we've got to talk to actual cheerleaders. And I'm in the presence of real-life cheerleaders from Ultimate Cheer, Tamsin, Nat, Louise. Thank hey. you so much for joining me. No Thank you for Thank having us. Yeah. Now, did you know about Navarro before cheer because watching this I was like they, they're like the Barcelona to football uh, they they are <laughs> amazing had, yeah I had Incredible. heard of them um, like I followed them on social media so like I followed a few college teams and they are like generally known as yeah like one of the top teams out there so I wasn't very surprised when they were the ones chosen to have the mm. show about them yeah I followed like different people that are on Navarro but I hadn't actually heard of Navarro so like I heard of Gabby Butler I followed Gabby Butler for like so many years yeah this is what I need to know because <laughs> watching cheer it seemed like Gabby Butler was like the Beyonce of it she yeah. is the Beyonce yeah, of cheer. she's like possibly like the most famous cheerleader mm. every cheerleader knows who gabby butler is she's on over like a million followers now yeah, like, yeah. crazy just, but she was already on like half a million before the show yeah so. and the show just pushed her over that that 100%. one million mark yeah <laughs> the thing that yeah. fascinated me about gabby was her parents mm. and her family 
And I was like, does Gabby want to do this? Or do her parents want her to do this? Are there a lot of pushy parents in cheerleading? Um, It it depends, really. It depends on when they go into it as well. Like with any sports, you can have pushy parents, especially if they do it from such a young age, especially like in football as well. So I think it can be any sport, Mm. including cheer. The parents that we have are all really nice and really keen and involved. But I I think it just varies, like Louise said. I mean... In Texas, there's quite a lot of very invested parents in cheer. It is an expensive sport, so like they're also paying a lot of money each year for it, and that's that's kind of where it stems from. Yeah, it's all from good places. Yeah. And for Gabby, it's like her career now, isn't it? So yeah. I guess it's like a more of a career pushiness. And like her sister was like trying to flog these bikinis. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's yeah. insane. I was like, give Gabby a break, mate. She was so like, going to post that. Gabby, yeah. you promised you would post that. I was like, look, Gabby's got broken ribs. She needs to give her, give her a break. <laughs> the culture of cheer in America seemed crazy as well. Like you, they were instant celebrities locally. Is it like an American thing that's come over here. I didn't know the history of, of cheer at all. Is it is it like a really American thing? It definitely started yeah. in America. And my university team was associated with the American football team. So it was that kind of feel. But I wish we were as popular as them. Like, we were <laughs> yeah. just like, we were just there. It's, it's just, it's definitely growing popularity. Most people who look to join Ultimate Cheer, they say that they're like, oh, um, I didn't know cheerleading was around in England. I didn't know you could do it. And cheer in England is actually becoming a really, really massive thing. It's a really popular sport. There's more and more people joining every year. And slowly, hopefully, more people who don't do cheer in England are aware that it's it's an option to do here. It's great in secondary schools now as well, yeah. which wasn't the case when I was younger. So, Did you notice like a, a, a surge in people wanting to do cheer when cheer came on Netflix? Yeah, like I did have more inquiries, definitely. <laughs> and a, a lot of it was more adults actually wanting to join because Cheer is an amazing show, but there are some bits where it's not really appropriate for kids. Um, and so I think over Christmas, like a lot of adults watched the show, really liked it and were just interested in trying it out. I'm not going to lie, because I was watching it thinking, I could do a couple of flips, mate. Come along, honestly, yeah. come along. We haven't seen yeah. some tiles yeah. yes. soon. It's so. not, though. It seems, I don't know how intense Ultimate Cheer is in comparison to Navarro, but did you not watch it thinking, this is borderline culty? No, <laughs> cheer, no cheer is a Did cult. you not think yeah, that? I was like, is it a cheer group? <laughs> <laughs> or is Monica leading the cult? <laughs> did you not get that vibe a little bit? I know it's just a lot, of passion. a lot of passion. Yeah. And also, I feel like they started filming quite far into their season. Because right now, like we're getting into the intense bit of the season where we're about to do our competition next week. But at the start, we were just like having fun and going to the pub after. So it depends when they were filming from. So is is it's now that Tasman's inner Monica is coming out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, are there any are there any parallels because what with Taz and Monica? Yeah. Well, is that what? Because I was like, is is this what the the coaches are really like? Would she make? <laughs> did she make you compete with broken toes? You no, can, never. If you need, look, guys, blink now. If you need, <laughs> if, we need if you need me to save you, just blink. No, definitely safety. No first, one's blinking 100%. just to make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> we do have the kids teams, and we went to go and support one of the kids. Me and Lou went to go watch them compete for the first time last weekend, and some of them, re- I feel like they really do look up to you as a coach because 
there is that respect kind of there, so that was really cute to see. And they just really wanted to make her proud as well on the floor. We have kids that come from broken home or troubled past. I kind of lost myself. If I wouldn't have came here, I'd be sitting in a jail cell right now. I hold things in because I feel like I'll be judged sometimes. In my head, I just feel like I'm never good enough for people. Your own brother is turning on you, jumping you. They were trying to beat him into a man. They would make me feel like I was not a part of the family. Those are my kids. I'll fight tooth and nail for them. She knows how to produce. Do it again. She is a beast. No! You work so hard your entire life for a moment. Do it again. If you want to be one of the top teams at the competition, you have to step it up. Do what you are here to do. Leave the legacy you want to leave behind. What we're reaching for, it's... It's insane. You keep going until you get it right, and then you keep going until you can't get it wrong. Whoever thought of chucking someone into the air and see how many times they can flip, that person is psychotic. But yeah, I'm the crazy person that does it. We can. We can. We will. We will. We must. We must. Let's get it. What was it like for you watching Monica then? Because she was almost like a mother to a lot of them, especially like like Morgan and watching Morgan's story and her relationship with Monica. What was that like for you being the mother hen of these girls? <laughs> um, I mean, watching Monica was amazing. She has so many traits of a coach where obviously you really aspire to have that relationship with all your athletes because... Obviously, she's an amazing cheer coach and they're putting out a great routine. But the thing that was really nice about the show was that you understood that cheer was so much more than that. And it was largely down to Monica. And she cared so much about every athlete and really just helping them in every way possible and helping them grow beyond just being a cheerleader. And I think, like, any coach would, like, just, like, aspire to be like that and especially like that ultimate cheer making sure everyone knows you're part of one big family like everyone's there for each other if you have any problems you can come to us and like we were saying earlier Louise is our Jerry yeah like 100%, 100%. <laughs> oh my, you have are you a Jerry, Jerry in your present are you the Jerry <laughs> <laughs> ah! um, look at that smile of course she's the Jerry <laughs> Um, I do try and pep talk everyone. She's, <laughs> our, do, she's our captain. Yeah. Do you do the mat talk? Um, I scream a lot. I'm just like, everyone, yeah. And I'll just run around. It's just, yeah. She, she's just, always the loudest counter. She's cheering everyone on. She always gives everyone like like pump-up speeches, literally. But that is that's surely <laughs> so necessary because I watched cheer thinking this couldn't exist without Jerry. How important is that role then? Um, I do find it really important, even for myself. Like, you can be having a down day, like, been to work and, like, X, Y, Z has happened, but you just need to, like, pump yourself up, like, and you're around your friends, like, you're around people you care about and you all have the same goal. It's just, like, get the best routine out on the mat for yourselves, um, for everyone else and for Tasman as well. So it's just, yeah, it's a really positive environment. It's great. I found that after sort of two episodes I was really invested in everybody like they were my friends from school whose story in particular were you invested in was there anybody that you gravitated towards the Darius's for me yeah oh the tears that came out of my eyes when I was listening to him it's just how strong he is now and then I think there was only one time I saw him cry and that was when he was talking about a particular part of his story I won't spoil it but I just sat there and I was just sobbing because I just thought that's so deep and what he's gone through and to where he is now just 
being the best version of himself and how much cheer helped him get to where he is, that really stuck with me. What about you, Nat? I loved Lexi because I just think cheer can help anyone that's feeling down or like go feel like your life is out of control cheer controls it and you could you could really see that in her that cheer was what grounded her and made her better yeah and I'm just she's a she's back on Navarro now and I'm so happy <laughs> I was I was I've been like really invested in the yeah, follow-up been, story yeah following yeah. all of them <laughs> oh and I've gosh, been checking in and I was so pleased to to know that she was back at Navarro what about you who's who's been your the, the person that you really felt invested in I really liked Morgan I loved Morgan. Honestly, like, she was so sweet. But just, like, the amount of progress she made as an athlete, her basket, her tumbling, her pyramid, she was just, like, a dream athlete. She was amazing. She was incredible. You know what? You've, you've brought me on something great there when you said basket because I found watching this series that my vocab for cheer... We do have, like, our own language. ...went from zero yeah. to 100. Can you each give our listeners just a new word that is only from cheer um flyer i'd say is only from cheer definition definition is the person that's thrown around is probably the easiest way to describe it and as we've seen in cheer the one that often lands on the floor yeah no Shirt, stop. <laughs> <laughs> not allowed you're not allowed to drop them yeah can't drop the flyer what word are you giving us for our cheer glossary um, I'm going to say hit zero. I think they do say it at the show, but that's one of our ones, like hit zero, is when you don't make any mistakes in the routine and you hit zero. So it's like a perfect performance, basically. Mine might be me? really obvious if you've watched the show, but Matt Talk. Like, Jerry is the king of Matt Talk. That match up. Yeah, so it's basically pumping each other up um, when they're doing the routine, when you're training, really helping each other push through because... When you're doing the routine, there's points where you can't breathe, where you want to probably stop, <laughs> where someone might have fallen, and just pumping on everyone else on the mat, knowing that you're all there for each other. How dangerous is cheerleading? Because I watched cheer and I was like, this is more dangerous than wrestling. There's like, oh, she's she's on her third concussion. And I was like, she's on her <laughs> third? What? Is it is it that intense? I think it seems quite intense in the show, but... Cheerle- like like with any sport, there are injuries. Um, and s- something that's really... It's always been big in cheer, but now is the main focus, is hitting a perfect routine. So that means zero deductions, but that means that you need to be able to do your stunt perfectly every time. So there is now such a focus in training on drills, progress... like perfecting every single skill before progressing to a harder one and repping things until you can hit them every time. It's really, it's really like stopping any injuries. It's, it's doing everything you can to prevent any injuries and making it the safest sport possible. And there are different levels as well. So yeah. when injuries come is when you're in the wrong level for your skill set, basically. So you've got levels like one to six. And even within that is like level 4.2, like... 5.2 there's loads of different ones so it's safe as long as you're doing the skill set within your reach because there, there were so many injuries in cheer mm. but that was also like the whole season and <laughs> there was like i they i love that you're trying to make this sound like super safe <laughs> it's sure safe, you might break honest. your leg <laughs> no but there are injuries in all sorts but that is also like a whole year in but, six yeah. like I mean, I'm not going to say it's not dangerous because you're catching people <laughs> falling from the yeah. sky. Like, I'm a base. But the worst thing I've ever done, I broke my finger. But that's it. Like, it's not a leg, you know? 
So the bass is the person <laughs> who catches. Who catches. Yeah. So th- these lives are in your hands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is quite stressful sometimes, especially if you've had, you've had like a bad day at work and you're like, I'm not feeling up to we do it on a Wednesday night so sometimes you might get in and you're like right don't have much energy and you don't really throw as hard as you can and they're, like, they cu- they're coming down and it's like you can't not catch them but that's where like fine <laughs> I'll catch you <laughs> like if I have to but I guess that's where the trust comes like between the team and that's why everyone it, they bond so much as a family because their lives are in your hands and you have to trust them we only compete once for two minutes and 15 seconds in Daytona that it may be your last time in your career you are a freaking Navarro cheerleader. It's definitely a privilege. Now, the big competition in cheer was Daytona. What's the UK equivalent? Is there a big competition here that gets as intense as that? Definitely Bournemouth. Everyone is just getting themselves ready in the year for Bournemouth, I'd Bournemouth say. and like future cheer internationals at yeah. Bournemouth. It's and you, yeah, you go down for the weekend, it's right on the beach, stay over with your whole team. Yeah, it's in July, so it's like the final comp of the season and like all the big teams go, every level, all the world's teams. And you know that if you win Bournemouth, like you are the national champion of that division. Like, yeah, you've earned it. It's I love how British that is. <laughs> <laughs> they go to Daytona, we go Bournemouth. <laughs> What is it about cheer, though? Because what I noticed when I when I watched the Netflix series was that it wasn't teeing them up for anything in, in their future. It's not like they could get a scholarship to then go on and do something. It's not something you can do professionally and turn it into a career. And yet they were so fully invested. What is it about cheerleading that, that gives you that feeling? It's 100% just the team spirit aspect of it. So any career, any role you go into, you're going to be in some sort of team. And it just helps you work with different personalities, just having a shared goal. And I think it just gives you such incredible life skills. Mm. And it's addictive, the feeling of like going out and competing with your friend. It's so addictive. Like I didn't do it for one term. And then that's when I found Ultimate Cheer because I was Googling, like, where can I cheer again? <laughs> like, and then I found it and I was like, this is for me. I think it's the team bond because there's so- it sounds so cheesy, but there's just something so special about the bond that you have with your cheer friends. And they're a group of friends that are just, I don't know, it's just different to all your other groups of friends. And you, you do become so close with them. And at the start of the season, you... No one really knows each other often. And then throughout the season, like, when you're going to comps and stuff, like, your bond grows and, like, it's it's so special. And often, like in cheer, there are injuries you need to overcome. People are filling in at the last minute. You thought you had the perfect routine and now you have to change it all with one practice because someone's broken their arm. And it just really brings everyone together. Someone's broken their arm. <laughs> I was actually referencing cheer. Sure. sure. Someone's sure. broken their arm. Sure. Sounds like a bloodbath for Ultimate Cheer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies, sorry to cut you there, but I've got a judge on the phone. Hello, is that Rob Rinder? It is indeed. Hello, Rob Rinder. It's Dottie from What to Watch on Netflix. How are you doing? Hi, Dottie, love. How are you? I'm thrilled to hear that you are as big a fan of cheer as I am. I'm a mega fan. I wrote a whole column about it. Which I read. What what, what drew you to Cheer? Because I just randomly watched it thinking I was watching Cheers. What made you watch it? Right, so my friend in New Zealand, who's kind of culturally ahead on everything, 
text me in the middle of the night say, you've got to watch this. And I don't really sleep very much. And I put it on and it was probably about two o'clock in the morning and eight o'clock in the morning, I was sitting there sobbing, um, completely in love, wanting to um, co-adopt Jerry. I've subsequently not become obsessed with it. I just think it, it says so much. It's one of, I think, the best, serious documentaries I've seen in a really long time because very often the best documentaries seem to be about one thing but they speak to so much more about the experience of privilege about excellence about the challenge of coming out um, about sporting prowess about what it means to be ignored about depression all through the prism all through the journey of something else all right no no spoilers but I like you cried at several points. My, the, the moment when I was really sobbing into my snacks was when mm. it cut to Ladarius's brother <gasps> watching it. Oh, my gosh. And he oh was crying. Gosh. What got you? What was the bit that got you? That's a huge, that's a huge part of it. And it was just, it was, it was beautiful in the truest sense of, of that word. The other scene that really got me was there was uh, Monica driving in her car. You know, she's, all of the things that we project onto people and make assumptions about a white woman from a conservative Christian big C town. Um, and so bearing in mind this is lace or set against the backdrop of American politics, it's quite easy for us to make assumptions about how she would value or judge other people. And that moment in her car, when she says, talking about the struggles and challenges of a lot, especially of her, her male cheerleaders, of what it has meant to them to be, cloaked in the challenge and shame of being LGBTQ and her looking to that camera as she's driving with such steely honesty to say, listen, I've argued with my pastor. These are my kids. Nobody comes after my kids. And for so many of those young people, this is the first person that has truly believed in them and where they've fought to meet her expectations. And so the column actually I wrote about it, why I was so moved by it was you know, what it did for me, I mean, so much of the series did a lot, but I mean, or, or gifted me so much. But for me, the bit, that bit was so important because it reminded me of the teachers in, in my background and my life that were the game-changing teachers. Often they weren't the loudest. In my case, it was Mrs. Christ who I read about, who was the first person, believe it or not, that went, yeah, you know what, you're quite good at this, you're quite clever. And that changed absolutely everything for me. Um, you know, and, and I just, for me, I just, that, that was my moment. Rob, I mean, you're getting me emotional all over again. I thought I'd put the emotion of this behind me, <laughs> but I'm... I don't mean to. I'm, I'm, I'm back in Corsicana, Texas all over again. Um, right. I wanted to ask you, though, as you, as you pointed out, there's, this is so much bigger than, than cheerleading. The, mm. the Daytona competition is almost right. a, a backdrop against which so many other things are set. What, what was your biggest takeaway? There are three things, and it's really interesting. The first one is that amazing reminder of the talent that people have. And even all of us, we kind of project assumptions on people without knowing anything at all about their lives. For me, actually, it was Monica. You know, I come back to what I was saying before. If any of us had met that woman, there she was, you know, steely with um, uh, all of that kind of Texas drawl, drawl, I should say, and you might make assumptions about her politics, her value, and values, and you'd be completely and totally wrong. Secondly, just to the privilege of hearing the experiences of these young people. And for a change, 
I'm not saying there's too much of this, but not a single one of them talked about the challenges they've they've been through as um, as victims, but as really empowered young people. And lastly, what that meant not just for them, but for that community. You know, every single story had that contained within it. And of course, also celebrated through the medium of jazz hands too, which I love. <laughs> I just, you know, and, and this, it's so rare for you to sit down nowadays and watch anything where you're conscripted, not just into being delighted for everybody, but really wanting everybody to do well. Yeah. You know, and that's just the best thing. That desire for every single person that is, is given the opportunity to be in that team. You follow their journey and their story and you want the best for them, whatever their challenges have been. And for me, like I say, it's that echo, that reminder that every single person has talent and value. Uh, you know, and who knew that you could do that through the prism of cheerleading? I'm literally, I'm like a cheer evangelist, honestly. I gave you the list of people that I've told to watch it. But I've got I've got a little um, WhatsApp group. Rob, is it now your mission in life to convert everybody into a cheer watcher? I'd be doing it. Is no, it... No, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's like, how are you today? I'm great. Watch cheer, and they all have. You know. <laughs> are you going door to door, Rob? At this point, are you going door to door at this I point? I don't know that far. Do you know what I mean? But um, these days, what with the help of smartphones, you know. But um, so much of the stuff we watch is about you know killing or misery or, 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 or some species of murder mystery which never ends happily. You know, I, I think it's the first thing I've, I've tuned into for ages that sort of, you know, l- left me feeling that, that sense of delight and, and needed perhaps more than ever the ultimate goodness of, of others. Rob, so you, you have summed up cheer so eloquently and we know now that you love cheer. Is there anything else on Netflix that you would recommend? So my thing on Netflix, which is super embarrassing, but I got woken up in the middle of the night by Michael McIntyre, is they have all of the back episodes, all of the old episodes of Deep Space Nine. I um, can't lie. The last, I I get, it's amazing. Especially the last four series, which predicted everything that would happen in the 20th century. I mean, I don't want to be too pretentious, but it is. I mean, Rob, I would love to see your recently watched list. It sounds like a hoot. But that, that's, 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 that's all we've got time for on this podcast. Oh, no, thank you for having me. But we will... Watch we, cheer. We will look out for your cheer dissertation. It was in the paper last week. But I, f- anyway. I feel like you've got more to say than that, Rob. I feel like that was just the prologue. I know. The problem is I end up slipping into such pretentiousness. My editor writes back and goes, yeah, all right, Rob, just know we've heard it all now. You know, Rob, it's enough. Rob, we, we know exactly. you love cheer. We, okay. we will not forget it. <laughs> Okay, thanks for having me. Thank you so much, mate. Lots of love. All right, let's take a breather from all these flips and spins. Over to you, Jamie. Thanks, Dottie. Now, as Gina pointed out a couple of weeks ago, uh, Lock and Key has appeared on Netflix and it's blooming brilliant. So it's like an American supernatural horror that kind of young adults and kids are going to absolutely love. Basically, someone called Rendell Locke has been murdered. So his wife is forced to move along with their three kids, Tyler, Kinsey and Bodie, all the way from Seattle to Massachusetts to live in the Rendell family home, which is this massive mansion called the Key House. Whilst they're there, the kids start to discover some mysterious keys that can be used to unlock 
lots of different doors in lots of different ways. And I got a chance to catch up with the showrunners of Lock and Key, Carlton Coos and Meredith Averill, just to find out exactly how you go about making such a show. me a little bit about Locking Key's journey onto onto Netflix. A lot of people have tried and a lot of people have failed and you guys have cracked it. What was the secret sauce? I think for us, we really tried to focus on the kids and the fantasy elements and I don't know, it just, I, I, I guess it really just took a while to get the cocktail right. There's a lot of different things that are happening narratively in the property and I think it was hard for people to make decisions about what to emphasize and um, I think eventually we figured out something that everyone seems to like and um, work, at least for us. Yeah, it's a very delicate balance of different tones in the comics. So I think it was for us trying to find that proportion of horror and romance and fantasy and you know, young adult stories. And so I think that that is, I think, one of the strengths of the show is the way that we, we balance those stories. This isn't a game. We don't know what these keys unlock. You, you touched upon it a minute ago when you were talking about, about young adults. And what is it about this kind of genre that appeals to young adults so much, do you think? I think that it allows us to tackle issues that young adults are dealing with in a way, in a different sort of fantastical way, you know, we have a character, Kinsey Locke, who's a 16-year-old girl who's dealing with this crippling anxiety, which is something that obviously many young adults deal with. And, you know, we get to tell a story about that, but through this lens of fantasy, where she discovers a key that allows her to go inside her own head and face down her fear, which is a literal monster, and make the decision to remove that fear from her head. And so it's allowing us to tell a story about that anxiety and how we face down our own fears in a very fantastical way, in a, in a way that I think that, you know, in a metaphorical way that I think that a lot of teens will, will find very kind of relatable and, and also in sort of a wish fulfillment way, what would it be like to remove my own fear? And we get to enjoy that process with her and, and how wonderful it is for her to live without fear. But then she also learns the lesson of that fear has a place and, um, and that fear can be a gift um, as long as you learn to control it. So I think being able to tell a story like that in a, in, with our own kind of lock and key spin is one of our, our favorite things to do on the show. How do you keep yourselves in check when writing for young adults so that you say so that we don't end up just being like old people patronizing kids? How do you keep it relevant to them? I, I mean, I think uh, we have a whole bunch of writers on our staff and they all, you know, they're of different ages and different backgrounds. I think that we all, we all spend a lot of time discussing everything that we put into the show and, and it feels like, by the time we've all reached some kind of consensus, um, 
know, I think that we're that that sort of system of checks and balances keeps everything that we put in the show feeling relevant and it's really helpful to have a writer's room to kind of not only help create the show but sort of act as a litmus test for ideas. My final question is very, very simple. Tell me something to watch on Netflix. My choice would be Abstract, which is a non scripted series about process of design. I love that. uh, I love that you've chosen that. To me, it's such a wonderful way to look at the creative process through these incredibly brilliant designers and how they've gone about building, making, you know, creating everything from, you know, shoes to incredible buildings. And it's just, it's it's very inspiring and uh, a really great look at, at sort of the creative process. Two fantastic choices. I love Abstract. I, I love them all. Thank you so much for coming on, guys. Uh, and uh, good luck with Lock Thank and Key. You, Can't wait to see yeah. you when you come over to the UK next time. That sounds great. Cheers. Take care. Bye-bye. And now, he can't get enough of his own voice, so producer Jamie has put himself in twice. Now, as promised, this is a double dose of intermission this week. It was when I had a cup of tea with none other than Ben Hardy. Who's Ben Hardy? You know Ben Hardy. He played Roger Taylor from Queen and Bohemian Rhapsody. But more recently, he's been Billy slash Four in Six Underground. You know the one that slides down the roof at the beginning? If you haven't seen it yet, you really ought to. It's like a Michael Bay buffet of a film. It's got a bit of everything you expect from Michael Bay, stars Ryan Reynolds, Melanie Laurent, Manuel Garcia Ruffalo, Ben Hardy, of course, and Dave Franco. It's an absolute riot. So I sat down with Ben, had a chat about Six Underground, obviously, uh, but he also gave me a bit of an acting masterclass. What if I told you I know what happens when you die? You become a ghost. No more criminal records. No more office parties. Or stupid weddings. The best part of being dead is the freedom. We answer to no one. You could take out some truly evil people. We're here in a delightful hotel in London and you are kind of in the thicker six underground kind of press tour and all that kind of stuff. Indeed, Describe to the listeners what a press tour is like because you've done a few, you know, we had Bohemian Rhapsody, done X-Men, now Six Underground. You're no stranger to kind of like the movie Juggernaut. So they tend to be... I mean, it's, often they're fun because you're with people that you worked on on the movie and you yeah. get to see each other again. Uh, not that you wouldn't necessarily otherwise, but, you know, you have this reason to be together and you, sometimes you get to travel the world, so that's great. You get to see places you never would have seen before. Is that a school trip? Do you go... Do you, does, everyone, <laughs> does everyone go a bit kind of... You, I don't remember being treated as well on school trips, actually. <laughs> do you but, eat your pat uh, lunch before you get it's, there? It's yeah. like school trip, but you've always got backseat on the bus, you know, like... <laughs> Talk to us about Six Underground. What was the set like? Because I've seen a few... saw a few of the, the social videos that Ryan made during filming it. Mm-hmm. A Michael Bay film... It looks like chaos to me, but I'm, I like I like neatness and tidiness. Right. Whereas that film just looks crazy from start to finish. Yeah, it's chaos, but it's also like efficient chaos. Like he's very um, concerned about about time and and kind of you know it costs a lot of money to make a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. film and costs a lot of money. And he, when he's working, he is like he is so disciplined and so diligent. And um, so yeah, it's chaotic, but it's like constructed chaos. You know, I don't even understand how you get permits to film 
stuff like that. It's like the opening. Would you call it like an opening montage to Six Underground? Because it's, it's like about it's about twenty minutes yeah, long, isn't yeah, it? The, yeah, the yeah. opening the opening's, kind of like chase. Yeah, the opening chase. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's insane that chase. I think it's one of the best car chases I've seen. Yeah. And I'm obviously I'm biased, but you know I do think it was incredible. And, and Dave did a lot of the driving. Dave Franco. He did. There was a stunt driver as well, but he did a lot of it, and uh, it was tough on him. And um, but yeah, it's amazing. Florence let us do that. I don't know how much they. They went into detail about what exactly we were going to do. Did they but, take uh, the mayor out and just get him like really pissed the day before? And so just I, like, I don't know, <laughs> but maybe so. Maybe so. How do you kind of lay your foundations? Because you're travelling a lot. You have to ground yourself. You have to find a cornerstone somewhere to kind of keep you, keep you kind of sane because otherwise hotel rooms would drive you crackers. What do you do when you, when you get in the room? Do you unpack it? Are you an unpacker? Do you unpack immediately wherever you are, regardless of how long you're staying? If I'm staying for more than a few days, yeah, you know, more or less, more or less immediately just yeah. to try and make it feel like a home. I've done that before. I remember I did a whole job in, in Belfast where I didn't unpack my suitcase for like three months and I was like, living out of suitcase for three months is quite depressing. That's an amateur's game, mate. I know, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? Just starting out. <laughs> Do you have a case packed at all times, like an overnight, just to kind of like leg it with? as if you're like a pregnant woman. <laughs> no, I don't. No, I don't. Just, I don't need that. Just my passport and I'm gone. Do you? Yeah, That's yeah, all you need. Yeah. You can pick up a toothbrush from me when you get there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, figure it all out later. What are you up to at the moment then once all this is done? So I've just finished shooting a film called The Voyeurs, which is like a psychosexual thriller, like a modern day rear window. My favourite psycho thriller, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah me yeah. too. That's, I'm a big fan of that genre, so I was excited to, to make one because there's not that many of them anymore. But... Um, but yeah, so I finished that and now I'm done. Now I'm going to get fat. And, oh, so you've been and, ripped and for that. Yeah, yeah, I've been waiting for this moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, with Six Underground, it was a good ensemble. Must have been, must have been a good crack, as they say. Good crack, yeah. indeed, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, no, it was great. I, I love those guys. You know, Manu and Adria and Corey and Dave and I'm going to miss someone, Melanie, you know, yeah. Yeah, and Ryan. And, you know, no, we had, a, we had a real laugh. You know, are you, that's all you can do on a chaotic set like that. You know, we kind of, we made, we had fun with it. We had a lot of fun. Did you see Ryan's tweet that he put out when he was filming Six Underground? Which, which one? Was? He did this, he did this video of himself uh, kind of going, the thing about, the thing I like about Michael Bay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then in the background, you see a car somersault past mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a great kind of, it was a great fun tweet and a good, good promo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 14 minutes and six seconds into the final cut. You can see him in the distance. I know, I know. I feel like that's a deliberate tactical move by Netflix. It's like, that's going to be good PR. Hey, don't blame us. (laughs) If we were only that calculated. (laughs) No, it's amazing that people picked up on that, but because, you know, it's Michael, you know, cut so quickly between shots you know but uh, that's what happens when it goes straight onto Netflix and you can pause it right right <laughs> in, ten, full, ten second rewind. in full Wait, 4K that? yeah yeah <laughs> Ben listen thank you buddy I know you've thank got you. tons to do and uh, all the best with Six Underground thank you cheers buddy back to you Dotty. of course you love cheer you are cheerleaders but I would love to know what else you would recommend on Netflix who wants to go first? Who has got a Netflix recommendation? Um, I have recently started Next in Fashion. Absolutely love it. I love how global it is. It's it's just such a good show. Just everyone watch it. Big No is boring. Slutty, but not illegal. Big No is blah. This is a bit scary. 30 minutes left. Oh, I want to gasp. And listen back to our episode with Tan France and Alexa Chung on oh Next gosh. in Fashion if you have not yet watched it. What about you? Mine is 100% sex education. It is absolutely hilarious. Highly recommend. Have you got a favourite character? Oh, favourite character has to be Eric. Everyone says that. All day, 100%. He's absolutely brilliant. The clear front runner. Yeah, If we're being honest. (laughs) 
I really like Ola. She really likes me. We are going to have sex. Can you calm down? And Tasman, what would be your recommendation on Netflix? Um, okay, I literally like love all Netflix shows, so this is really hard. Riverdale and Sabrina, and especially Sabrina because I like loved the old Sabrina, and I was really worried when a remake was coming out. I was excited, but I was worried I wasn't going to like it as much. And it's even better. It's so, so good. You have to watch it. Guys, <laughs> thank you so much for your Netflix recommendations. And uh, who knows? Cheer Series 2, South London, maybe. Ultimate cheer. Yeah. Here for it, 100%. <laughs> All right, we've got loads of recommendations from these lot. But what do these guys really know? Very little in comparison to Netflix HQ's very own Gina. Hello again, Gina. Hello, Dottie. How are you doing today? Gina, I'm doing well. You know exactly why I'm here. I need to fill my boots with new Netflix goodies. What have you got? Okay, lots of exciting things for you this week, Dottie. This isn't out today, but you have something to look forward to on Monday. So I'm, I'm actually warning you in advance that fans of Best Call Saul and um, Breaking Bad and all of those shows within that same group uh, will be excited to know that season five is dropping on Monday. So... Put that in your calendar. That will be coming out soon. I've got a horror for you. So Annabelle's creation is on the service. Just dropped a couple of days ago and ready for you to watch. If you're a fan of The Conjuring, you'll love this. It's a doll that's featured in The Conjuring and it's a prequel of the 2014 film Annabelle. Essentially, a scary doll. Demonic things happen. If you like scary things, go for it. I don't personally like them, but anyone who's a fan, please do. It's great. What's a selection? Better Call Saul and a creepy doll. All bases covered. Do you know what? Don't say I don't treat you. Do you know what I mean, Dottie? Like, I'm really going in. I've done, I did all this for you. I, 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 those are my favourite things. <laughs> Dodgy dealing lawyers and any sort of creepy toy. That's me summed up in a weekend's viewing. Thank you so much, Gina. Anytime. Speak to you another time. Speak to you next week. Bye. Bye. That's it for this week, but we're going to continue with the sporting theme for a bit. As next week, we're really excited to bring you a sneak peek at one of the biggest shows you'll be watching this Easter. The English game tells the story of football in the style of the crown, and we're privileged to have its creator, Julian Fellows, along. He invented flipping Downton Abbey. And I'll be getting to grips with one of the biggest hits of 2020 so far, The Stranger. Jennifer Saunders reveals all. What to Watch on Netflix is hosted by me, Dottie, and is written and produced by Jamie East. Editing and additional production comes from Cup and Nuzzle. What are you watching on Netflix? We'd love to know. Get in touch with us on Twitter at Netflix UK. Listener.